You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hey, are you listening to this episode because you love old school NWA and WCW? Well, if you haven't already, you've got to go check out starcast.com because starcast four is coming to Baltimore. That's right. Horseman country. And we're bringing hell with us, man. We've got old school WCW. How about sting in the red, white, and blue for the first time in decades. Of course, he beat Ric Flair for the world title back at great American bash, 1990. And he was wearing that famous red, white, and blue jacket that they've made action figures of. Of course, you remember he had the stars and stripe face paint. He's breaking it out for the first time ever for a photo op. And he'll even have the original world title that he won that night from Ric Flair. You can only get this photo op at Starcast, And of course, our main man, Arn Anderson will be there. Lots of other hall of famers too, like Ron Simmons, Ricky Steamboat, Lex Luger, on and on. But lots of fun gimmicks from that early era too. Guys like Johnny B. Bad, even Van Hammer. And how about the Ding Dongs? That's right, the Ding Dongs. What about RoboCop? There's so much fun stuff planned for StarCast. You don't want to miss out. Be a part of it. Join us in Baltimore. StarCast.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-C-A-S-T.com. StarCast.com. Man, it's like fantasy camp for wrestling fans. Check it out. StarCast.com. It's next month, November 7th through the 10th. Most of the action's going down that Friday and Saturday. Friday will be loaded with old school and some AEW talent. And Saturday, man, it's all about tradition and paying homage to Baltimore. It's one of the great wrestling cities for the NWA and World Championship Wrestling. Check it out, starcast.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn right here on Westwood One. And we have with us today, of course, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the enforcer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Well, I'm a little bit worn out from all the emotion of last week. You know, there was some pretty soul-searching moments on the show last week, so I'm recovering for that. And uh, besides that, I feel great. Well, we got great feedback last week. If you missed Arn's retirement episode, episode three here on the show, I highly recommend it. I was told many, many times last week that it is, in fact, the best podcast I've ever been on. So... Uh, thanks for making uh, one of the best episodes ever last week, dude. Well, I'm honored to have been a part of that with you. Uh, that's a pretty profound statement coming from the listening audience. Thank you to them for listening, and thanks for the kind comments. Well, let's get to the heart of the matter today. We're going to be talking about Fall Brawl 1995, and what a big day that was in your career when you finally got to square off against your best friend and the other uh sort of building block of the four horsemen, the nature boy, Ric Flair. But before we talk about the match, let's sort of go back to the beginning. We've touched on this just a couple of weeks ago about how you first met Rick and when you knew that he was a friend for you, when he, you know, made sure that you were okay at the hospital and took care of your stuff. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, what your relationship had been like 
with some rather broad strokes from that day up until 1995 with Rick. Well, we became best friends. When I first came to Charlotte, the first week that I was in town, I stayed at Rick's house. And um, while I was looking for apartment and trying to, you know, get a, acquainted with the boys and all that and find out where the boys lived and what was the best place and all those things, I stayed there, which is for Rick Flair to have you at his house for weeks, you know, for me was a tremendous honor. I was walking around on eggshells for a week. Um, it just kind of built from there. Uh, Rick and I became best friends, and it was through day after day after day on the road together, and uh, we had similar interests. And he liked to work out. I liked to work out, obviously. And uh, he liked to have a few beers after the workout, and I liked to have a few beers after the workout. So, you know, our, just, our interests were similar. He kind of took me under his wing and was grooming me. And, and uh, I was wanting to learn. You know, I took in everything he said and everything that he shared with me, and it was just such a, a learning experience. It was, well, it was it was mind blowing to be hanging out with Ric Flair. To be honest with you, I mean, I, I was a fan, I was a mark, I was all those things, uh, super super fan, and uh, all the things he had accomplished in the business, who he was, you know, his work rate, you name it. It was just. It's right there, and I was getting to share it firsthand. It, not many people can say that, and it it was awesome. So fair to say you guys were traveling partners as well. I mean, we've talked about how a lot of the horsemen were riding on Crockett's jet, but when you're you know between towns, you guys are still loading up the car together as well. Yeah, I mean the the the, plane, the private planes with Crockett didn't come at at the very beginning. You know, we had to get the company on fire to be able to afford those. So we were driving everywhere out of Charlotte and we would uh, ride together when it accommodated us. Sometimes JJ would go on his own. Sometimes Tully and JJ would go together. Rick and I would usually go uh, together and uh, because I wanted to be there to the end, I wanted to watch his matches and learn all I possibly could. Um, of course he had a pretty nice ride all the time. It was some form of a Mercedes. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, sort of your role in the horseman here, because it does feel like all the other players are interchangeable and I'm sure we're going to do lots of horseman content in the future, but you know, whether it's Ole Anderson or it's Barry Windham or it's Tully Blanchard, the players always sort of changed. And then of course, in later years, we would see Mongo and Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit and Brian Pillman and lots of iterations of the horseman. The two constants were always yourself and Ric Flair, and for better or worse, a lot of people viewed you as sort of his right-hand man. His, um, uh, you were definitely the background figure of the duo. D did that ever cause any sort of rift or resentment or on your end, or, or were you always thrilled to be in the role? Well, if the truth is known, it was probably more the adjectives used were second fiddle, stooge. Uh, some of those tight words, I'm sure. Um, I was thrilled to be in that position. You know, a lot of guys had relationships. You know, the Road Warriors were a team and and uh, the Steiner brothers and all these guys that were, were very, very close in the business. You know, Rick and I were close in the business and we were the constants. 
you know, and all those versions of the horse. But, you know, and, and during the, the Jim Crockett days, you got to put Tully and J.J. in there as well. That last player from Ole to Luger to all those guys, you know, they all, you know, did a good job in the time they were in the horseman or when it was time for us to make a change, it was always for business purposes. It was never personal. You know, only the only thing personal about Oli is his kid was wrestling in college and he wanted to be there and see him wrestling. And I don't blame him a bit, you know, and as you get older and you get wiser and your kids grow up, if you have boys, you want to see them compete in sports and it just didn't fit with the schedule we had because, man, we were plowing ahead every single day and there just wasn't time to take six weeks off and and go watch a kid wrestle uh, amateur. You know, as much as I agree with it now, at the time it was like, hmm, you know, that's going to throw a dent in what we're doing. We all felt that way. It's, uh, it's fascinating to me that, you know, one of the oldest stories in the book, and, and we've talked about this on an episode before, is, is to break up all these duos and have them feud with each other, even if they are, you know, blood brothers, like uh, the Steiner brothers or whatever. Eventually, everybody breaks up, and that doesn't happen during really the, the top years of Crockett. And, of course, you and Tully are out of there in 88. But do you remember it ever being discussed before 1995 that, that you and Rick were going to be at odds? No, um, I don't think anybody would have thought that was the thing to do. I mean, there were some things, even though you broke, you know, the Steiner brothers up and, you know, during the course of the last 20 years, you broke up the road warriors. You had the road warriors turn on dusty. You had, uh, the Hardy brothers break up, you know, there were so many incarnations, of guys that got broke up over the years and you put them in an angle, put them in a match. And, and I've never seen my experience is the audience buying it or believing it. And I think Rick and I fit in that category. They, they would much rather see us together than see us apart. And to be honest with you, you know, I had my role. He had his role, albeit we weren't on 50, 50 footing with each other. I wasn't the personality that Ric Flair was, for God's sakes. I wasn't the performer he was. I wasn't the icon. You know, Ric Flair, you go through horseman country, which is the southeastern part of the United States. I mean, he's a god. Doesn't matter what he's doing on TV. Everybody loves Ric Flair. Not to say it's not that way worldwide, but there was never a reason that was so pressing that all of a sudden somebody looked up and went, you know, hey, there's some serious money being left on the table right here if we break up Arn and Rick. It just kind of, over time, that was one of the things that was left that we hadn't done, which made it new, made it fresh, and I'm sure everyone felt like we could pull it off. Along the way, you guys did you know, tag quite a bit. I remember there being even some pay-per-views where you and Rick formed a tag team. Was there ever a consideration to, uh, you know, because there were times when, for whatever reason, the office wanted to try something different. We'll put the belt on Sting or, you know, we'll try it with this guy or that guy. Was there ever consideration of making you guys tag champs or, or really packaging you with an extended tag run that you know of? No, nothing that I knew of. I would have voted for no. 
Now we could we could have been fighting with the current tag champions, whether it be Austin and Pillman or, or whoever that may be, and enhanced those guys in that role, them as champions. But I think Ric Flair is one half of the world tag team champions is a step down. And I don't mean that with any disrespect because I revere the tag titles. I think a tag match, if done properly with the proper four guys, should steal the show every night. Nothing should be able to follow it. That's my opinion. Uh, but I think putting that role on Ric Flair, one half of the world tag team champions, as many times as he's been the world champion, it would be, a you know, a step down. Well, let's talk about, you know, as you guys are sort of bouncing around, because, you know, there's a time when you go to the WWF with Tully and you come <coughs> back and... It's not too terribly long and, and he's fed up and, and he's going to go to the WWF. Uh, how much does your routine change and how does that affect your friendship when, you know, you're North and he's South and vice versa? Well, I mean, it was everybody in this business has to do what they have to do. It's like when Tully and I left, you know, it, friendships are great. Brotherhood is even better. But business is number one, and taking care of your family is number one. And he felt like he needed to make that move at that time. Hindsight being twenty twenty, it was probably a little late. <clears throat> would have had more impact if he would have went when we went. But Rick, uh, you know, has to make his own decisions just like we did. And uh, him leaving certainly left me on my own, and I think it provided me with the opportunity for growth and expansion and uh, getting to team with some incredible partners, Bobby Eaton, uh, Larry Zabisco, you know, it, it just, uh, we never looked at it as a negative. The move that he made, you know, was just a lateral move. And then we went on our own. No big deal. At the time you guys are both living in uh, North Carolina. <laughs> Is that right? And still, yes, sir, uh, absolutely, we sure were. And we would see, you know, when Rick would come home for his couple of days off, which in those days you only got about six days off a month, we would see each other. <clears throat> the friendship stayed strong throughout all that. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the similarities between, you know, Rick's kids' ages and your kids' ages, because I think you've mentioned before that there's a couple that are that are fairly close in age, right? Charlotte and my oldest son, Barrett, are the same age, and they grew up uh, from just little ones, from toddlers, all the way up to probably 15, 16, 17 years old. They were best friends. And, and my young time, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, um, and my youngest son, who's 11 years younger, came along afterwards, and he kind of missed the biggest part of, of my career. So he wouldn't have been that preview to that. And I find that strange that, that he's the big wrestling fan and he's the one that possibly <laughs> is looking, <laughs> looking to go in to being a wrestler, which horrifies me to even mouth the words. But when he graduates college, which is coming up in the next few months, that's his ambition. So I'll help him see it through as long as that's what he really wants to do. Well, you're uh, breaking news. A lot of people didn't know that. And now they're going to be talking about it. Hypothetically, as we sort of sidebar the conversation, 
what advice would you give your son getting into the wrestling business? Be absolutely positive that that's what he wants to do. Be a student, learn everything you can be respectful of everybody that's came before you. And that is here currently. And those that will come into the business in the future, learn your craft, become the best you could possibly be. Stay in the gym do the best you can. God bless him. He's got lousy genetics. He's like his old man. <laughs> he's not a body, not a body guy, but, uh, you know, he's a big, strong kid and he's, he's a good athlete. And the, the best thing about him is he's a good, honest person. He's a very respectful person and he's got a great work ethic. So between all that advice, if he can sort through that and just become a good, better person, Good employee and a student of the business would be the best advice I can give him. Do you have uh, an idea of, of how you might get him trained if that's something he wants to pursue? No, uh, I'm going to start at ground zero. I'm going to take him, you know, to the ring the first time myself. And I'm going to, you know, you'll find out right away. I know I did. If you want to be in this business, if you really, truly want to be a wrestler, because it's hard. And that uh, that ring is hard. And the first time you get slammed or suplexed or knocked on your can, when you set up, you have a revelation. And you either decide, oh, shit, that hurt. And I'd rather just use my degree that I just got in college and get a job. Or you go, ah, oh, shit, that hurt. But you know what? It'll probably be easier the next time I do it or the next time I do it. And at that crossroads of time, you figure out whether you really want to do this. And if he doesn't, that's great. You know, we had a deal. Get your college degree so you can make a living no matter what. And then we'll talk about it. And he's still got a few months left. So when that's done, we'll talk about it. Well, let's talk about 1995. After some time apart on screen, you and Rick start to team up again. And you got to start a feud with Vader. And I think most of our listeners remember the legendary match from Starcade 93 in Charlotte, where Rick and Vader would have one of the all time great matches. And it almost didn't happen. Uh, but Sid Vicious is no longer here. That's a story for another time. Rick gets the nod and history is made and they have a, a rematch uh, at super brawl a few months later and Rick would win again. But now in 95, Rick and Vader are on the same side. They're forming an alliance against Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Of course, eventually Rick and Vader's partnership falls apart. And uh, now he brings Arn Anderson into the fold. So there's going to be some some interesting matches that we're going to talk about here with uh, even a handicap match with you and Rick on one side and Vader on the other. But before we talk about those matches... You know, Vader definitely had a different approach to the business than you did. What what can you tell us about Vader, the performer, and, and Leon White, the man behind the character? Well, Leon White, the person, was a big teddy bear. Um, Leon used to come down to Bobby Eaton's room and mine after the, we would do center stage taping. He'd come down there and would have a couple beers and shoot the shit. It was just a big teddy bear. Now, Vader, the performer, he liked it stiff. 
He brought it stiff. He was a former NFL player, and he broke in stiff. And when you're fighting Stan Hansen all the time, I mean, that becomes like a self-preservation thing, I think. Uh, Leon was a big, solid, rugged athlete that could do some incredible stuff. Him doing that Vader bomb out of the corner for a guy that size. I mean, he had to be over 400 pounds. Incredible performer. But, you know, he would get... He would get in there with a guy that was just there to enhance him, and, you know, he would get a little rough. And the one beef on him was, you know, he would pick on guys a little bit. Uh, the regular guys, I never had a problem with him. And when he was with Harley, they were a phenomenal team. Harley's influence was great for Leon. So it just depends on what position you were in with Leon to how you would view him as far as a history lesson. You guys never had a problem though, you know, what you and, and Rick and, and Vader, as far as you remember, you know, even Rick's relationship with Vader was pretty good. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it's, it's, if, if he worked with Leon two shows in a row and went over, if Flair went over, then I'm sure by the time he really pissed him off after the, the Hogan Savage deal. Now he's pissed Leon off, and now he wants to bring me into the damn thing, which, as usual, so now I'm going to get my head knocked off by Leon because the complexion of the angle changed. Yeah, so let's talk about you know how this idea comes together. Of course, the match where we keep talking around is Clash of the Champions, August 6, 1995. Unbelievably, it's a handicap match, and Vader still wins. And after the match, you and Rick start to argue. Rick tries to leave, but you pull him back in the ring by his hair, and that gets the crowd's attention in a major way, and you guys start arguing, and the problems escalate from there. When do you first remember hearing the idea that, hey, there may be an angle for Rick and I to work against each other? I have a feeling that that was already in the works because two things happened that night. Um, number one, I spine busted Vader, which you should have heard the gasp on that, um, which he took beautifully. Um, and that was the first time I'd put my hands on Ric Flair in that fashion and been disrespectful, disrespectful like that. And, uh, that got another gasp. Um, I think it had went to a level never seen before and i think your casual fan looked at that and went hey wait a minute they hadn't done this before and so something must be brewing it is brewing you know the days and weeks leading up to uh, fall brawl we would see you know lots of television and lots of promos sort of explaining that there was an issue, and I think it's the first time we ever saw your wife, Mrs. Anderson, on TV. Tell us how that came to be. Well, it's something you never did. You know, you never wanted to bring your family into the business. It's uh, because, again, where's the payoff? You know, you're not going to work towards uh, a match with somebody, guy's wife. You're not going to bring her into the fold. In those days, you didn't. You didn't bring her into the fold, and... 
and all that stuff. And children, they were kind of, uh, it was a sacred thing. You kind of kept them in the background and people knew you had a family, but it was off limits. Um, I think at this point in time, and I, and I remember a couple of episodes of television, one where Rick was had the figure four on somebody, and as we had done a thousand times, the referee was facing the other way, and he reached back, and I grabbed his hands from the floor, and there would be some leverage. I remember at this point in time, I was trying to wake Rick up, and if teaching him a lesson is the is the proper terminology, I don't know. But I refused to grab his hands, and he came up to his feet, and we got into a little bit of an argument there, and that was another piece of the puzzle. But my wife, Erin, basically just hammered the nail that Rick and I were close. You know, if we were having issues, I'm sure that we'd work it out. I don't remember exactly what the comment of her promo was. But I came home, and I called a camera crew in my house, and uh, that was off limits, and it, things got a little rowdy, and some people got thrown out, and uh, it was one of those things that added some reality, I hope it did, at the particular time that two friends, it would be like we're, you know, we're button heads, and, and somebody wanted to step in. It would be like two brothers at a family dinner, and they get into it and the dad has to step in and separate them. It was that type scenario with Aaron, I believe. And uh was different. It was different for that time. And I think she did a good job with it. Uh, it helped give us another piece that made this a personal issue. And personal issues have always drawn in this business because people can sink their teeth into a soap opera. And that was soap opera-esque. No doubt about it. Do you remember who would have pushed for Aaron to be a part of it? Was that a Kevin Sullivan idea or a Ric Flair idea or Eric Bischoff idea? Or do you recall? I do not. I put my hand out twice. You're the enforcer. Where were you? You're talking about when you turned and looked at me again. What was I thinking about? Again. What does again mean? It seems like lately you're always looking back at me for something or the other. What what he's saying, Rick Flair, he's got a good point there. Oh, you're a translator now? Well, no, Is but that I what you're getting paid to do? What I think I'm interpreting you to say is that I'm not qualified possibly to be doing that by myself without you there. After all these years of being the enforcer, is that what maybe you're implying? Not implying anything. All I'm telling you is I want to see Ric Flair the killer, not Ric Flair that carries this punk kid for 15 minutes. I want to see the Ric Flair that gets my attention. Ric Flair, you certainly have got to address that. Oh, I most certainly do since you said it on national television. I got to address it in a way you're not going to like. Maybe what you and I should do, for lack of a better word, is go back stairs here and iron out our personal differences. Or since you implied that maybe I wasn't qualified to be out there by myself, maybe you would like me to give you a wrestling lesson. 
me just hammer the nail. Can I, can I hammer the nail? And slamboree, I beat that punk in record time. I don't think you're man enough to give me any kind of lesson. Wait a minute. What has happened? How is this relationship going on a bed so quick? Apparently, he's taking a taxi home because he ain't riding in the limo. Was there any hesitation, you know, to involving her? I mean, it is one of the, you know, rare moments that we ever saw Aaron on anything like this. And, um, I think, uh, macho man once said, I did an angle with my wife once. Now I ain't got no wife or something to that effect. Uh, and you seem to subscribe to that. Keep your family away, but there is an exception made here. Any hesitation or did you feel like this was different and, uh, this could still be workable i had full control over it once the crew got to my house and the whole thing you know we're putting it together i was given creative control over it so i knew it was going to be done right i knew it wasn't going to be over the top everything would be in good taste hopefully somewhat credible and uh had no problem with it this one time and one time only it's pretty topical, you know, to be talking about a husband and wife, you know, doing some business on screen because, uh, right or wrong, there's been a lot of criticism of the angle on TV that's happening right now with Rusev, Lana, and Bobby Lashley. Have you kept up with any of that? Not really, but I've, I've, I'm aware of, of what's been going on, and we'll just have to see how that shakes out. You know, they're they're kind of. In my opinion, they went for shock value, and now they're going to tell the story afterwards. Um, who am I to judge? You know, uh, if Rusev is happy with the angle, and his wife is happy, and Bobby's happy with the angle, then then I'm happy for them. All good people. Um, but it uh, it just kind of came out of left field, came out of nowhere. Uh, that I I've read enough about to know. Let's pretend it's uh, 1995 and, and you're handed a script that sort of plays out the Rusev, Lana, Bobby Lashley piece, except Aaron in the Lana spot, Arn in the Rusev spot, and Flair in the Bobby Lashley spot. What happens to that script when you get it? Next. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. What else you got? Yeah, it's... Uh, it's just it's it's a weird piece of business because you know the the history of uh, angles like this in wrestling and and then what happens behind the scenes is not always awesome. So good luck to them, as you said, all great performers, all good people. It's not like it was any of their ideas. They're doing their best with it. it sort of is what it is. Yeah, I would I would have think you know. If- something like that goes down uh, back in the day or whatever to make it swallowable. And I know that's not a word able to be swallowed. There'd be a hell of a fight going on in somebody's driveway at somebody's house or at the airport or outside the arena or something that would take a whole different twist. If something like that went down, you know what I'm saying? It just doesn't begin and end there. That would be my input into it. If you're going to go that far with something, 
you know, ending up in the sack with another man's wife. If that ain't fighting words, I mean, you're not going to be caught the next week at uh, Cracker Barrel eating eating together and decide <laughs> we just put a comma in the angle, you know. Sounds like a serious deal to me. Yeah, without question. All right, Armin, I need to take a timeout right now. And, uh, of course, we're talking about the two founding members of the Horseman and Man, if there's anything the horseman knew about in the 80s, it's probably erections. But you're still an expert these days, thanks to BlueChew.com. Tell everybody how you've given your gimmick the hot tag, Arn. Well, let's be clear about one thing. Flair was more about about erections than me, okay? (laughs) That was not my sole reason for being alive, okay? And just how prominent was it? You know, that that that's that's another story for another day. But here's the deal. Now, I'm a problem solver. We've established that, right? Yes, sir. There are reasons to use Blue Chew in my mind. This is like a topic. Okay? So I'm going to solve a problem for you here. There's some of us that as we get a little older, we're not as conscientious or as smart or is patient, or we're either just eat up with the dumbass because we get up in the middle of the night and they go to the bathroom, but we fail to cut on the light or raise the toilet seat. So you just end up peeing everywhere but the toilet. Now the next morning, as you could imagine, as the wife gets out and comes in and sees this, she is flipped. She is irate. Heaven forbid you have the answer. Well, honey, look, I took a blue chew. My gimmick was pointing skyward. It's a physics thing. Sorry. Reverse the age, reverse the physics. Go to bluechew.com right now. They're going to hook you up with an online physician. So you get to skip the in-person doctor visit. They're going to help you find the right dosage and the right active ingredient for the world's first chewable that works just like Viagra and Cialis. It has the same active ingredient, but because it's chewable, it can work faster and you can take it on a full or empty stomach. And because you skip the in-person doctor visit, it's cheaper. And you can even, well, avoid the awkward conversation. It'll be shipped to you very discreetly. And how about this? Just because you listen to this show, you can get your first shipment for free. Just go to bluechew.com and use our promo code ARN, that's A-R-N, and all you've got to do is pay $5 shipping. Your first shipment is free. Uh, take our word for it. You're going to love it. Blue Chew is the talk of the wrestling business. It's not just for guys who have a problem. It's for guys who want to, uh, well, enhance their performance. Get your dick on the gas. Go to bluechew.com. Use that promo code ARN. You'll be glad you did. Well, let's talk about Fall Brawl 95 a little more. You know, the issue is getting heated up. We see the the promo from Aaron and her appearance. That does add a layer of realism. And as we get closer, you know, you've probably started to sink your teeth into this a little bit since you had creative control. But this is an angle that once upon a time, you admit you didn't think anybody would buy. As we head towards the pay-per-view, are you feeling better about it? Like, hey, maybe we have something here. We did a good job with this. Or are you still thinking, I don't know if people buy this? 
I think everything that we're doing and we're allowed to do and the support we're getting from the company, they're letting us put all the pieces that we want to put in place. In the back of my head, I'm just still not – there's not that rumbling and people choosing a side and, you know, clearly nothing was drawn in the sand to where you've got Rick fans and you've got Arn fans. You've got most people who I think believed Arn Anderson's over his head. Rick Flair's the world champion. Ric Flair's the man, one of the greatest performers in the history of the business, one of the greatest wrestlers. He's a god. Uh, he's been world champion how many times? And here's his sidekick. There's not much of a contest here. But each week I was able to get away with something. It And without serious repercussions, I'm thinking there might have been a few people, and, you know, open to conjecture, that are going, hey, you know, Maybe this guy's going to have his day. You know, every they say every dog has his day. Bullshit, every dog don't have his day. Sometimes a dog just gets run over, you know, by a truck. That's that's his day. That's it. He doesn't have a beautiful day. So um, I'm thinking a, a few fans may have gotten in my back pocket that, hey, maybe, maybe this guy's going to get his due one time. Uh, but – but it wasn't that good versus evil. I don't think anybody thought we were going to go out there and try to cripple each other. And um, I think if you take out that part of it, how bad is this going to get? Somebody going to get hurt out there? Somebody going to go too far? Is somebody intentionally going to go too far? If you take that element out of our business, then it just almost becomes like an amateur contest. Right. And, uh, you know what I mean? And, and so, um, I don't think that was ever there as far as the audience went. So did it have the elements to be the most it could be as far as drawing money? No, but that's because our relationship kind of worked against it. Well, let's talk about the pay-per-view. Of course, we're talking about fall brawl 95. It goes down September 17th. In Asheville, North Carolina, most definitely Horseman Country. Lots of fans in that area. Really looking forward to that match. Uh, but probably nobody more than you uh, because you've acknowledged that you had so much admiration for Rick as a performer and one of the best ever. And you're a fan of Rick's. And you've seen him develop this reputation with everybody else as being one of the greatest ever. And now instead of working with him, you're working against him. What sort of pressure does that create for you? It was a two headed monster. Um, on one side, <clears throat> I did get to be involved in a top flight, top shelf singles match, which was not my forte usually. I was usually in a different role, either in a tag match or a supporting role. So it was going to be featured. But in the back of my head, I was a little intimidated to be working with Rick. Number one, I have no babyface skills. Make that clear. No drop kicks, nothing off the top, nothing flashy. I brought nothing to the table in that respect. That was not my style. 
nor would I have switched my style, to be honest with you, that much for that particular night because I still think there was a, there really wasn't a good guy and a bad guy. It was two brothers fighting, and some people wanted to see it, and some people didn't. Some people wanted to look, and some were looking with one eye and one eye closed. Um, but it was just all the hype that was around it made it special, but it made me a nervous wreck. And, uh, again, in those days, you didn't sit down and, and talk about a bunch of stuff. This was going to be a go out there and let's feel it out and let's run with it. And we know how much about what, how much time we have approximately, and we're just going to go have a fight and see how it turns out. You know, in those days, as you said, you wouldn't necessarily lay out the entire match, but did you already have, and you knew the amount of time you had, but did you have the finishing sequence in mind or would you talk through any major, you know, sort of plot points in the story of the match or anything like that, or just number of minutes and we know Rick's going over, let's go figure it out or whatever. Yeah, we just, we knew the finish and we knew that would get heat, you know, especially if we could make that contest, if we could suck them in enough to get involved in the match to where, Maybe deep enough into it, 20 minutes or so into the match, people don't know necessarily that it's going to be the figure four. You know, I think that was a, a gimme going into the match in most people's minds. But uh, if we could paint a picture that I had a chance before Brian came down and did the screw job, then, uh, you know, it, it would have been uh, intriguing. And the fact that, that you know, Eric or whoever made the call to to allow us to have the talent, which I'm sure was a pain in their ass, sit out in the crowd was like a that that's something had never been done. To have the actual talent concerned or at least interested in the very least, what would happen if these two guys got in a fight, you know? And having them sitting in the crowd and playing off of their reactions made it, in my mind, special, made it different. It was different and it was a very cool presentation and on the way here, you guys are going to do uh, a couple of promos and, and we're going to play both of those. Uh, but in Rick's promo, he says something like double a, so many people in life never have an opportunity to stand next to greatness, to be around greatness, much less touch greatness. And tonight, my friend, you're going to face greatness. And then being Gene asks if he hates you and. Rick says, the problem is I love him, but I love him so much that tonight I got to show him why he's going to have to explain to his little boy, or I'm going to have to explain to mine that there's only one king of the hill and in Nashville or uh, Asheville, North Carolina, it's the nature boy. So uh, a pretty cool promo where he starts off, you know, holding up the four fingers, showing the, the four horse, horsemen sign and. Then later we see a package that sort of chronicled the split between you two. And, and we'll play that here on the show, but then we get to your promo, uh, in this era, I don't think you were given a script and expected to memorize it and say it word for word. How did you put together this promo to the best of your recollection? Well, number one, Rick's promo was a hundred percent dead on. That's what the story was. And on a shoot, very few people in this industry ever get to be in the top match on a pay-per-view in an angle with your best friend with all of the other talent sitting out in the crowd. 
100%, I was going to get to touch greatness. Now, if Sting was in that role and all that set up with the whole thing was the same or Ricky Steamboat or anybody you'd want to name, Ricky Morton, Hulk Hogan, any of those guys, Randy Savage, you name it, if they would have been in the ring with Rick, it would have looked like business as usual. This is a big match. This is huge. But for me to have been in that situation, he was right. He was going to spank me in front of the world because that's what he felt I needed. I, in turn felt like, you know, I always thought I had your respect, always felt like I did, but since apparently I don't, tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and uh, you're going to respect me and I'm going to respect myself. And that was the crux of the two interviews. Mean Gene Oakland right now is standing by with a man who's just about set to go with the match of his life. We're talking about the enforcer, Arn Anderson. Gene, take it away. All right, Tony, I, uh, I apologize. I didn't realize we're going to be a mile, mile and a half run. I felt like Roger Bannister coming up from that. Arn Anderson, come on in. Before I talk to you regarding your matchup with Ric Flair, I want you to take a look at some of the history between the two of you that has taken place. Let's go. Family ties have been severed between Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, and there is no turning back. Arn had done his best to help Ric Flair continue to hang on. As Ric Flair hides behind the Enforcer, fans could sense that there were problems in the Horseman Stable. The first time could be forgiven. This time was not forgotten. Vader felt the quake. He used the turmoil between these two and capitalized on it. It was quite obvious that the problems were more than just a family tip. Something was wrong. Now, Rick, I know we didn't leave the match the way we wanted to. There's nobody to blame here. Was it all okay between Double A and Ric Flair? Ric Flair looked as if he was taking advantage of a good situation. As he left Double A in the ring, the majority of the time, has Ric Flair lost his drive? Since Hulk Hogan has arrived, Flair has not been the competitor of old. His obsession to be number one has caused problems in the home front and alienated him from his friends. And now, Ric Flair has been pushed harder than ever to prove himself a champion. When Ric faced Alex Wright, it was apparent that Double A wanted Flair to show that he still had the drive to excel. The flamboyant nature boy then ran off at the mouth. On without his frustration, in a candid interview. Got everything in the world. You should be floating on cloud nine. I don't know what's wrong. Fans deserve to hear more. Arn's wife let the cameras into their home. Arn's explosion continued on. Soon after, fans walked up to an unexpected locker room shouting match. He's got a match, our eyes. It's not out there. Me explain something. Flair just went out the back door. He's left me again. Double A, I think you know what you are. That's why you're in the ring with me at Fall Brawl. What I got to do to you, pal, is do why I've been where I've been for a while. Woo! There is no longer time for understanding. Families often hurt the ones they love most. This time, there's no way to patch things up. The family feud you never thought you'd see has come to a reality. 
Ric Flair and Arn Anderson on opposing sides, riding in different directions, but colliding on the same course at Fall Brawl. Gene Oakland, whether you hate me, whether you love me, whether you respect me or you don't respect me, the one thing I've always given everybody is I've always called a spade a spade. I've either loved with a passion or I've hated with a passion and with a vengeance. And everybody has had a family member at one time or the other that was messing up. And you had to grab them and you had to shake them because words no longer mattered. Well, Ric Flair, I've been back here. My stomach has been in knots. My heart's been pounding out of my chest. And I wouldn't be telling the truth if I didn't tell you I'm a nervous wreck because i got to trade fists with somebody that I love more than God itself. You understand, you've been a brother to me when I didn't have one. Now i got to go trade fists with you. But it's something that's got to happen because when I get up in the morning and look in that mirror, i got to answer to me. And if you don't stand up in this world, all a man can do is stand up and live by his word, right or wrong. Tonight, I give Asheville, I give the world, and I give you, Ric Flair, my word on this. I'm going to give you all I got as a man and win, lose, or draw. Trust me, I'm going to respect myself in the morning, and you're going to respect me. All right, the man is headed to the ring. I'd asked Ric Flair earlier if he... Loved or hated Arn Anderson. Yes, he loved him. And he loved him for many years. But apparently both of these men have to meet tonight in what I suspect is going to be a classic, a classic match. Everywhere I have gone, people are abuzz about this one. Tony Schiavone, I'd like an assessment from you and Bobby the Brain Heenan. What do you think? Well, Gene, first of all, let me say it was in the mid-1980s when professional wrestling saw its boom. It went worldwide. Packed arenas, jam-packed arenas all across the country. Many, many weeks, this arena, the Asheville Civic Center, was jam-packed with the likes of the Nature Boy Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. They were always on the same team. The fans here love both men. They've hated both men, but they've respected both men. Now, for the first time ever, they will see these two classic wrestlers go at it one-on-one. -on -one. It's very simple. It's like that old saying goes. Tonight, either wrestle or get off the mat. Arn Anderson said he was nervous. Well, are, we are all nervous right now. As we go to David Pinter, the match we'd never thought we'd see. Really, really good stuff. And uh, we've got both of those here on the show. Uh, do you, in this era, pre-tape these early in the afternoon? Or w when would you have laid this promo down? And who would have been the producers in the room? Or just talk us through that process here at 95. Uh, it was live. And they trusted me to do it live. And I was heading to the ring right from there. And my nerves were shot. My stomach was churning. Matter of fact, which I've never done before, I've seen done by a lot of guys, you know, in this business, when you walk through that curtain, it's just you or it's the partners that you have with you. But if it's just you, you walk through that curtain, it's you against the audience and your dance partner. It's up to you to go out and tell a story. I puked in a trash can on the way. I've never done that before, never done it since. And it was just because of the hugeness of when I was going through the curtain this time, it was like a different point in my career. It was a standalone point. It might not ever be that big again with all the trappings and all the stories surrounded around it. And 
all the other talent pitching in to make it as big as what it was going to be and to have an angle on the end of it and me to actually come out of this thing winning, that's a little bit for one guy that's been a second fiddle his whole career to swallow, and I got no problem saying it. So I gave it a good puke. Wish I could have had time to brush my teeth, but hey, that's Rick's problem. Um, so that's the way it was. Nobody gave me a script. Nobody told me what to say. It was entirely all mine. And it's, you know what? I don't remember in the history of my career anyone ever saying to me, here's what you got to say. Now, there's been, here's how long you have. You got 330. We're talking about Richmond or we're talking about Greensboro. Here's your opponents. Fill in the blanks. And that's it. That's how you learn how to do promos because they become an extension of who you are. Um, just going out there and, and like you've crammed for a test and memorizing a full page of verbiage and delivering it. Well, okay, I got all the words you wanted out, but I had no emotion behind it. Nobody believed that that was coming out of me. And it's pretty easy to spot when it's not coming out of a person. If you cram for a test, it, it's it's gone tomorrow. And that's why in today's world, not a lot of guys are great promo guys because they're not having an opportunity to learn. Well, you, uh, you guys are masters on the mic, both you and Rick, and these are two very, very memorable promos, but now it's time for the match. Uh, when you come through the curtain fresh after having, uh, had an upset stomach and, and tossed your cookies a little bit. Are you, or does that settle you down? Do you feel like once you got that out of your system, you were okay? When you walk in front of the crowd, is it like riding a bicycle again? Or are you still nervous on your way to the ring? A little nervous till he chopped me the first time. And uh, that woke me up. That put me back in uh, fight mode. And uh, it got my thinking straightened out. And um, we went from there. It was it was just instinct, and you go to grab a hold, and I'll counter it, and I'll try to grab a hold, and you counter it, and we'll do some fighting in the middle, and we'll see where it goes. Talk to me a little bit about the crowd that night. It's in Asheville. Do you have any friends or family in the crowd to come out and watch? No, sir. Uh, did not. Um. It was just uh, Rick and I and, and uh, the audience. You guys go 22 minutes and 37 seconds. Smeltzer would write, most of the underneath wrestlers were sitting together, faces and heels were at least kept separate, watching this, trying to get over the importance of the match. The psychology was excellent. They did a lot of the normal Flair or Anderson routine with slight cross-ups, uh, as in getting the story that they each knew each other's moves but the other was one step ahead recognizing it. And it turned into a very good match with near falls going back and forth. Uh, neither really came across as a face or a heel. Anderson was selling his knee big from long figure four sequences. When Pillman came to ringside, Pillman punches Flair, who punches him back and as Flair turns his back, Pillman gives him an enziguri with a cowboy boot to set up their nitro match the next night and a staggered flare falls into Arn Anderson's DDT for the pin three and a half stars. 
So pretty good review here. Lots of storytelling. Maybe not exactly um, what fans would have hoped for in that there is a little bit of outside interference, but that's standard horseman fare at the time. So it does uh, keep that story alive. Tell me a little bit about when you knew you were going to uh, win and what the finish was and were you yourself sort of shocked that uh, I'm about to beat Ric Flair on pay-per-view here? Well, it was, uh, it was shocking. And, uh, when I did hear what we were going to do, you know, I looked at that and I went, okay, let's turn this around. Let's just say a pillman came down and he screwed me on behalf of Rick to gain some favor because he was the lead horseman and he wanted in, that would have made sense. So us going this route and reversing it and him helping me win would have made sense. And if you're the guy that's getting screwed, being the fact that it was, we made no bones about it. There was always three or four or five of us on a guy. And, you know, we would gang up on a guy. That way we were sure to not getting hurt. If you can, if you can cream a guy without getting hurt, you got no risk. That's a pretty good proposition. So from a storytelling aspect, it absolutely worked. Now, there might have been some folks that were disappointed that it wasn't a clean finish, but I don't think a clean finish would have helped anybody. I don't think if I just made a comeback and DDT'd Ric Flair, anybody would have swallowed it. Um, probably not. So uh, I think it worked in that respect. And, and uh <laughs> If you're the outside guy looking in, that's how the horseman would have did it. Uh, if is four stars the top rating for Meltzer? Five. Five. Okay. I was hoping he didn't give us that close to uh, uh, the top score because my lack of skills, I'm sure, made that a lot less exciting than it should have been. And trust me, I've always been the first one to say I don't do much. I can't do much. I just try to make the few things that I do, I try to do them well, and I try to put them in a spot where they're impactful. And uh, But as far as being a flashy performer, certainly with Rick doing the upside-down bump and the strut and then all the his stuff that he does, I am in no way, shape, or form an opponent for him in that department. So I'm glad that... It was three and a half. If uh, five is the top, I'm still very flattered that I got that kind of rating. Thank you, Meltzer. Appreciate it. And uh, that's that. Tell me about the, uh, you know, the way the match was received afterwards. You know, when you uh, hear the bell, you come back through the curtain. Are you relieved? Did it live up to your expectations? Was Rick happy? What do you remember about post-match? <laughs> Yeah, I think everybody was happy with it. It was a surprise ending. Uh, I don't think anybody in the building saw that coming, and um, it still had a little bit of a, a screw job. Well, it had a lot of a screw job to it, so it didn't hurt Rick in any fashion, and the fact that I could claim, even if there would have been a stack of pianos fell out of the ceiling on top of Rick, for me to be able to cover him, and get the win, that's one of the things you can hang your hat on for the rest of your career. Uh, you know, 10 years from then, you would look in the record books and you would go, okay, Arn Anderson wins over Ric Flair. They're not going to have that 
10 pianos fell out of the top of the ceiling and that was the circumstances around it. And it's something as a heel, you know, you would go back to and bring it up 10 years later. It's like beating Hulk Hogan twice, you know, two weeks in a row. It doesn't matter that you shot him with a spear gun and backed over him with a dump truck and took out a chainsaw and cut off two of his ankles where he couldn't stand up and then threw some powder in his face and covered it. One, two, three. The fact that you had beaten him twice in a row as a heel, if you are really are a heel and you're not trying to be cool and you're not trying to get over like a, a baby face would, you would hang your hat on that. And uh, that's what I did with Rick and that helped our story. Of course, because there was some interference with uh, Brian Pillman, Rick's going to demand a rematch, and that goes down on October 2nd on Nitro. Rick would pick up a win here by DQ, and once again, Brian Pillman interferes. So there's a solution to that, and that's sort of an old-school one. The following week, there's going to be a cage match. So on October 9th, it's you and Ric Flair inside of a steel cage. Did you know, you know the story all along was... We're going to do like a trilogy of matches or in this more modern nitro era, are you writing things sort of on the fly? Or did you know the storyline before you ever got to fall brawl? We're going to do three matches. Last one's going to be in a steel cage. Then we're going to do the, the mixed tag at, um, Halloween havoc. And we're off to the races. Well, I think, uh, you know, Probably Eric and Kevin and Rick. Rick even maybe had some some ideas in their head. I wasn't privy to everything that everybody was thinking, but I think they were probably in those days we would see how something got over. You did have a week then to figure out what the next piece was. Okay, did that get over? Now what do we do the third week? And you know, with live television, you have that option of, of changing it, you know, going to the ring. You know, it's whatever works, whatever helps your story. I wasn't real clear on where we were going to go. We were just kind of feeling it out and and seeing what got over and what didn't. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the cage match that happens on Nitro. You get another win. Uh, this makes... Uh, two wins over Rick for you. His one win is by DQ. Was Rick adamant that since he was uh, sort of the tippy top guy that he helped quote unquote, put you over here or how do you remember, you know, these finishes being discussed or was there even a discussion? I'm sure he was on board with it because Rick, you know, more than anybody else knew that the one thing it, that has always been true in this business is you got to get one guy over. And when that guy is truly over, he can reach down and grab a guy that's below him on the ladder and pull him up a rung or two. And Rick knew by putting me over, no matter what the circumstances, not once, but twice would just, if we were going to get back together anyway, would just make me a more viable entity Going forward, a bigger star, if that's the right terminology, at least a better opponent for whoever it may be going forward to be able to say that I beat Ric Flair twice. And uh, he was certainly on board. He knew that, I mean, this is a win. 
uh, over however many times he was champion at the time, which is which is huge. Uh, the fact of the matter is it just, it just helped my career at that point. And, uh, I owe him a debt of gratitude for that. Tell me about your nerves going into match two and three. You've told us, you know, how crazy it was to, to the point that you threw up on your way to the ring at fall brawl, but the nitro audience is much bigger than the pay-per-view audience. You know, certainly in that era, pay-per-view was a big deal. It was presented as a big deal, but. Certainly more eyeballs on Nitro. I got to wonder, does this get better or worse when now you know you're going to win again, and this time you're going to do it in front of many more people, and it's inside of a steel cage? Winning or losing for a guy, you know, that has never won a match, which would be me, is not that big a concern. It only is when it is career-altering, or angle altering or giving your company a slight edge in the momentum for the war that you're in that particular night. Uh, if in fact you are in a war at that point, um, it's just, it's, it's all relative. You know, here's the fact. If this were all 100% legitimate, Haku would be the world champion, and he would have no no challengers. To this day, he would be the world champion, and there would be an empty locker room because nobody would challenge him. So it wasn't the winning or losing. It wasn't anything about that. It was just, how's this going to help our story? How's this going to help us moving ahead? And I tell you, I lost all of my nerves by that point. It was just getting – you could be partners with a guy – you know, 2000 times. And that might've been the case at this point, who knows, you know, but there's a big difference. And now you're on the other side of the ball and you're wrestling him. It's totally, totally different. It's a different animal altogether. Well, of course, on the way here, you know, it's apparent that, uh, or as we're leaving these matches, Rick is outnumbered. You know, you've got Brian Pillman in your corner. He needs somebody to be in his corner and we see Rick uh, consistently start begging sting to be his partner and have his back against you and Brian Pillman. And of course, many times sting refuses. And finally he agrees to help Rick and he's got, uh, an interesting moment when this happens because Rick has a bunch of kids in the ring with him and he's trying to, uh, sort of appeal to stings, um, little stingers and and sting agrees to be rick's partner but says hey if you betray me again i'll leave you for dead uh so of course we know what that means absolutely no bottom line period you want to tell me no well we'll accept that right now but why don't you watch this for the next minute send them out please send them out send them out come here come here come on kids come on Come here. No, no, no. Puts a different light on, doesn't it? Puts a different light on, doesn't it? Come on in here, kiddos. Hey, let me ask you kids something. Is that stinger the greatest thing going today? Yeah! And let me tell you something. I live and breathe these little stingers right here every day of my life. 
And if I thought for one second that you, a man that has kids of your own, right? You would use these kids, especially the stingers out there, your kids, to get something out of me. If I thought for one second you were gonna use them, Flair, let me tell you something. Reluctantly, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt this one time, one time only. But if you swerve me, if you swerve me in the slightest little bit, sometime down the line, Halloween havoc for starters, I'm gonna, wait a minute, I'm gonna leave you for dead. Dead, dead, dead. Halloween Havoc 95, Sting and Ric Flair in one corner, Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman in the other. The match goes around 17 minutes. They're telling a great story here where uh, Sting is in trouble. He desperately needs to make the hot tag to Ric Flair. As soon as he does, of course, Ric immediately turns on him, and now it's three on one, and we announce that the four horsemen are back together. Meltzer would say, the match had the most heat on the card, and the angle was very well done. Flair suffered a rotator cuff earlier in the week and uh, wouldn't have been able to work anywhere near 100% if they had decided to book the thing differently coming out of the Nitro match. But then again, this is probably how it was booked all along. Three and three-quarter stars. We know that Rick is eventually going to have to have rotator cuff surgery, and I think even to this day it's still a little wonky for him. Uh, it Was this, as far as you know, always the creative to just get to Halloween Havoc and then have Rick turn on Sting? Or had he not been injured, do you think that could have been worked a little differently? No, I think the timing was okay. You know, using kids, you know, to sucker Sting in and kind of put him on the spot, that's a pretty shitty thing to do. You know, (laughs) (laughs) as I'm sitting here picturing in my head, I love it all over again. You know, it's a pretty rotten thing to do. And uh, you put Sting on the spot, you know, he's, he about has to say yeah. So, you know, and, and in those days, nothing we would have done uh, would have been to tarnish Sting's star whatsoever. He was the flagship of the company. He was the guy, you know, he was the, he was the one that everyone could believe and trust, and, and they did. And for him to do the right thing at that particular point in time, I think if he would have continued to say no, you know, in the role that Rick was in or that he was playing at that particular time, that he had had a change of heart, it would have probably turned the audience on Sting. So him doing the right thing worked. I think all the pieces were in place. And uh, when Rick turned around and turned it on him, it was like nobody saw it coming. I don't think at that particular point, if they did, there wasn't many of them because they really got with the heat. And it's one of those times where they were really pissed at the three of us. Right now, let's go to Tony Schiavone. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Eric. Last night, Eric, Halloween Havoc, some incredible things happen. And still to come in this telecast van, the footage is on its way. We will show you what happened, so stay right with us. But thanks to our friends at WCW Magazine, we did get some pictures of what happened last night as it relates to the Nature Boy Ric Flair and his match as he was partners with Sting against Arn Anderson and Flying Bryant. Let's take a look at what we saw last night. Arn Anderson and Flying Bryant, it was reported earlier that they had attacked the Nature Boy Ric Flair and he was injured and we were not sure as to if he would wrestle or not. 
Therefore, Sting had to come to the ring by himself. And what a match it was. It was basically a one-on-two. One-on-two, Ric Flair was not anywhere to be found. Then Ric Flair made his appearance. His forehead was taped. He ran into the ring and he was waiting on Sting. As a matter of fact, he was encouraging Sting, it seemed, to make the tag. And then Sting finally did make the tag. Once he made the tag, as you see right here, brutally attacked not only by Arn Anderson and Flying Brian, but by the nature boy, Ric Flair, as well. As a matter of fact, they were holding Sting for Flair to work him over as well. It was obvious then, as Flair peeled the tape from his forehead, that it was an entire farce. And at the end, of course, three men were really whooping it up. And with that in mind, let's bring my guest at this time, right here to Dayton, Ohio, live, the nature boy, Ric Flair, Flying Brian, and Arn Anderson. together and I told them be careful what you wish for you just may get it now sting do not hold your head down in shame you did the impossible you were more man than we ever believed you fought two of the horsemen for 10 minutes but pure mathematics and the law of physics will tell you it can't be done so we all find ourselves today with our hand going into that familiar cramp there's now three soon there'll be four and you know what that means tell them Nate. and for that doesn't ever feel good oh my he is pond scum crying out loud somebody go get me a bag i want to vomit guess what guess what we're back we're back and whether you like it or you don't like it, learn by God to love it because it's the best thing going today. Sting, you're like a lot of women we deal with every day. We're going to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to do what we want to do. And if you don't like it, 
If your friends don't like it, next Monday night on Nitro, the Horsemen will be in town, ready to go to work. Woo! And we'll have more after this on Nitro. Oh my God. Were you uh, excited at sort of the reformation of the horsemen here? It had been dormant for a little while. You know, you guys had, had tried sort of start and stop before, and there had been some different ideas along the way with Paul Roma and whatnot, and we'll talk about that another time, I'm sure. But we're going to see a new four horsemen form here. Of course, it's already established that you, Brian Pillman, and Rick Flair are here, but the addition of Chris Benoit... It's going to be uh, a big one, and I'm sure there's lots of Benoit discussion to be had in the future, but when you hear that the creative is going to be, we're putting the horsemen back together, are you excited? Are you regretful? Or do you wish that you know we would just leave well enough alone? Because I know that these later versions of the horsemen maybe weren't nearly as uh, revered as the original version, but that's probably true with, you know, movies or books or anything like that, where people say, well, the original was the best one. Where were you with the concept of the horseman coming back at late 95? Well, I, I've said on record many times, you know, the first version of the horseman, which included Oli was special. It absolutely worked. It was absolutely credible. Ole Anderson was a credit as a horseman. He was he was something that I can say, hey, when people say, who were the original four horsemen? And I throw Ole's name out there. It's with a lot of pride and respect that I do. I owe him a lot as far as teaching me, you know, how to get around that ring in a credible way and, and do some things that people are going to buy. Um, I also think that from a as far as a producing a match and getting the most out of your opponents slash dance partners, Barry Wyndham was a credible selection as a horseman. And I think that was probably at that point in time, the hottest, uh, angle, the hottest time the horsemen were because Barry could just flat shit and get it. There ain't anything Barry Wyndham couldn't do in that ring. Uh, but now skipping ahead to the, the point in time we're talking about, Chris Benoit is one of those guys. He's like Ole Anderson in one respect that when he steps through the ropes, you believe everything he does. And when he steps out on the ropes, you kind of take a breath and went, Jesus, thank God he didn't kill anybody in there. Very, very solid, incredible, plausible, believable performer. And uh, the excitement of having him as a partner, yeah, it thrilled it thrilled the piss out of me. Yeah, obviously, Brian Pillman, well-established to this WCW audience. At this point, though, Chris Benoit had only been in the company for a brief amount of time and wasn't very well-established, but sort of being introduced as a horseman makes him a made man. Over the next few months, though, we're going to see Brian Pillman start to get more and more out of control on TV. He's uh, honing in on his loose cannon persona. And there's a, a few times on Nitro where you would yell at him during promos and even slap him. Uh, what did you think of the uh, loose, chem loose cannon persona and, and all that was going on with, 
with Pillman in late 95, early 96. What do you mean persona? (laughs) You're telling me that was a Brian Pillman? Well, you know what? If if that wasn't him, because as he slowly started to get unhinged and it started to escalate, the lines between reality and character development were pretty blurred. Now, Brian Pillman was an intelligent, articulate guy. If you were going to sit down and talk to him about sports or current events or, you know, the business itself, whatever it was, he was very, very smart guy. Great athlete to have played pro football and been on the suicide squad, which, as we know, is kickoffs, which is dangerous. You either get killed or kill somebody. Uh, Probably... I would say he probably weighed around 200 pounds to do that. Makes him a a supreme athlete as well. Um, But the the loose cannon thing, I I mean, he had it down so well. I wondered sometimes, is is this guy working me? Is he working us? Or is he really about half nuts? And to this day, I don't know. Uh, who knows, you know, probably God's the only one knows the truth of the matter, but man, he sure convinced me. Well, you convinced us all, uh, in this fall brawl 95 match that really is what we were talking about, but we managed to talk about all three matches of the three matches you had with Rick, the one on pay-per-view and the two on nitro. Does one stand out above the others? Just the first one, probably because it's it is the first, you know. No matter what your first is, you know, whether it's your first girlfriend or your first partner, your first championship, you know, whatever the case may be, firsts never get topped because they're always going to be first. And uh, that first match, once I got the jitters out of me. You know, as it turned out, the story and the things that were to follow and, and uh, you know, Rick put me over, which is a huge honor for me. I'm, I'm not lost on that fact. Um, it, uh, it just turned out that that, that was a special night. And uh, the other two, not to say that they weren't, but it was just more business and us building on that first match, which I think was special. That first match, Fall Brawl 95, uh, where would it fall as far as importance from your perspective to your career? I don't think it was one of my better performances um, because I was miscast and I was trying to play the straight man and be a little bit of a baby face. And I wasn't me. I wasn't out there trying to get somebody's eyeball out on their cheek or, or break their leg or whatever the case may be, DDT, I'm on a chair, which was my normal frame of mind. Um, once you step outside of, of, of that scenario, um, I think my worth would have been a lot less um, in that particular match, which brought the performance down. I don't think it compares, and these are just personal favorites, the first war games, or you could probably go through the war games list and find a couple or three that were more brutal and more violent than the others. But certainly the first one was incredible. 
Bobby Eaton and I wrestled uh, Ricky Steamboat and Dustin Rhodes in the Omni. We went uh, 59 minutes and had a finish. I thought that was pretty special. That's not televised anywhere. Um, I think when Ricky Steamboat came back in Savannah, Georgia, to be partners with Dustin, I guess Larry Zabisco and I, that was a special night. Um, but those kind of stand out more so than than this one on as far as best matches, best performances on my part, most emotional. You know, maybe you get the vote with the rank match, but those other matches, I think I was better at being me. Well, we appreciate you being you this week again, and we're looking forward to next week. Uh, tell your friends to uh, come find Arn. Just search for Arn, A-R-N, anywhere you enjoy podcasts. And go ahead and throw us a follow on social media, because next week it's all about you, the listener. Our episode will be hashtag Ask Arn Anything. And the way to participate in the show is simple. Go throw us a follow at The Arn Show on Twitter. And when you do so, you'll see pinned to the top us asking for your questions. Reply to that thread and uh, listen for your question next week here on The Arn Show. It comes out Tuesday, 6 a.m., anywhere you enjoy podcasts and brought to you exclusively by Westwood One. It's Arn! We'll see you next Tuesday right here on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.